And today I'll be talking about some ongoing work, some new work really for me, um, related to, to the use of AI in, in projects, um, in projects within the, the disaster risk management community. Um, so as you heard, my, my primary research is in uh, human computer interaction or HCI. And within that, uh, my area of focus is a field called crisis informatics. And so as a field, um, I think we can say that, that crisis informatics seeks to examine the relationship between society, human behavior and information technologies um, related to crisis and, and disaster. Um, we're rooted in the area of, of HCI, but, but we draw on a lot of fields, including the, the sociology of disaster. Uh, we deploy both ethnographic and computational social science research methods, as well as, as design research. And if you've, if you've heard of crisis informatics before, it's likely um, that you, you've come across it through uh, researchers study of, uh, of social media during during the periods of, of crisis. Uh, when crisis informatics was launched in about 2007, 2008, uh, this was a really intense area of focus. And so, so we got a lot of recognition for, for that research. Uh, what I've tried to do in my work is really is really broaden the range of concerns uh, beyond social media and beyond the, that, that moment of crisis and, and, and really look at, a, at a other kinds of technologies and other kinds of of, of temporalities, and we'll see that in, in the talk today. And, and in doing so, I think we've been able to connect crisis informatics to a much broader range of, of theories. So things like STS, geography, anthropology, and it's, it's become a really rich and interesting um, sort of field of, of, of examination in the last couple of years. Uh, but just to start, I think we, we can motivate crisis informatics um, just simply by recognizing that, that ICTs have become a really central part about how we understand and, and, and respond to disaster and that this role is really just set to, to increase. Um, so to name just a few of the, the emerging systems that are reshaping the field, uh, we have disaster risk models, which bring together a lot of different kinds of spatial data um, in order to help inform disaster mitigation and preparedness. Um, civilian GPS, which was first uh, really only made avail fully available in, in the year 2000 is now just about in everyone's cars, cell phones, all these other devices. And, and that has a lot of implications for, for disaster management. Um, GIS, geographic information systems are really a central part of how we, how we plan and conduct emergency response. Social media and social computing, as I said, are really reshaping how we, how we think about information flows, who counts as a creator of data, who counts as a user of data during disasters. Uh, drone imagery and other kinds of remote sensing technologies are being able to uh, collect incredibly high resolution, high frequency update imagery and, and, and data about the planet. Biometrics and RFID are being used in everything from, from beneficiary enrollment and monitoring to supply chain management. As we'll talk about today, um, AI and in particular machine learning technologies coupled with computer vision um, and it's really important to note that, that a lot of these tools I was just mentioning have really just become available within the last 15, 20 years or so. And so what, as a field, crisis informatics has really sought to, to engage with these technologies, understand their implications, uh, but also resist some of the kinds of techno-optimistic narratives that, that we see so often in, in the press about how technology X will, will revolutionize disaster response. Um, and this is important because disasters, both in terms of their, their, their sheer numbers, as well as their economic impacts are, are increasing. And 
and anthropogenic climate change, human settlement patterns, our social, political, economic systems are all contributing to that. Um, but if we go just a bit deeper than this arrow kind of going up and up into the right, uh, there, there's quite a bit going on here that, that's really interesting. So, so for example, um, we know that economic impacts are rising faster than mortality rates. And in fact, in wealthy countries, uh, deaths caused by disasters had fallen sharply um, over the past century. Of course, this is, this is pre-COVID. Um, we know that, that, that poor and politically marginalized communities are by far the most impacted by disaster and struggle the most in, in, in the aftermath uh, to recover. Um, and then again, uh, we have better science and better, better data than, than ever about, about what causes disaster, um, how to respond to them and, and how to prevent them, um, at least from, from a technical perspective. And so, so when you kind of take those, those trends together, uh, we can see what, what in fact disaster researchers have been telling us for, for, for quite a long time, that there's, that there's no such thing as a natural disaster, despite you know, how often we hear that term. Um, disasters, in fact, occur um, as, uh, as a result of complex interactions between um, environmental hazards, but then socially, politically um, produced vulnerabilities to those hazards. And on, 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 on one sense, that's actually quite good news, because instead of being these, you know, quote, acts of God, as we so often hear disasters described, it actually means that, that we collectively have, have agency in this situation to prevent disasters, mitigate their impacts, and, and speed recovery when, when they do happen. And so the research I'll be, I'll be talking about today is within one community of experts uh, working in the field of what's called disaster risk management, uh, or DRM, as you'll hear me refer to it throughout the talk. That's really looking to, do, looking to find ways to use science technology to, to prepare for disasters, mitigate their impacts, and, and, and recover uh, more sustainably in their, in their aftermath. This is a quite interdisciplinary community of experts from, from all over the world. Um, DRM pulls on ex, uh, technical expertise from natural and physical scientists, uh, economists, uh, geographers, uh, social scientists, um, and, and it's, it's quite a global um, community of practice. Um, you have folks from insurance companies, the UN and the World Bank, uh, major development agencies. It's actually quite bound up with the, with the international development sector and, and connected to um, things like the sustainable development goals and, and, and the role that disaster risk reduction can, can play in achieving those. Um, and really this, this communities of experts is aimed at ultimately quantifying the risk and impacts of disaster and climate change such that, that mitigation efforts can be determined ahead of time, um, as well as disa effective disaster recovery planned afterwards. Um, a lot of the science that's used within disaster risk management initially came out of the insurance industry. And you'll kind of, in that picture on, on the left side of your screen there, you'll see sort of some of the language and, and, and ways of framing the problem that are very clearly sort of actuarial and, and, and financial. Um, and, and, and the kinds of projects that, that this work um, tries to influence is everything from uh, land use planning to building retrofitting schemes like you see on the, on the right. That's a, that's a building in Nepal that's being retrofitted for, for seismic risk. Um, and I think 
you know, as I mentioned, a lot of this, this, this science does come out of the insurance industry. It's only recently that um, it's being taken up in, in, in a broad way um, by, by uh, public policy and by governments uh, in, in public decision-making. And I think we're still grappling with some of, some of that, that lineage in, in ways that that's really interesting and we can talk about. Um, one thing that's been challenging as a researcher to, uh, to study this is, is that there's quite long project cycles. DRM takes, over, takes place um, you know, over the course of five, 10 year long projects. Uh, disasters themselves have quite long return periods. Um, so it can be quite difficult to really understand uh, the direct impacts of, of any particular intervention, uh, let alone the role of kind of specific design decisions made in our, our, our data infrastructures, our AI tools, as we'll talk about on, on these things. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as we, we go forward. And, and certainly, um, as I mentioned, machine learning, uh, particularly combined with computer vision, is really seeing um, a lot of interest within within this disastrous management community that I that I mentioned, and and it's being used to uh, produce these information products faster in, in ways that are less expensive or higher quality, um, and and working with things like drone and, and satellite imagery to to attempt to to quickly create maps of of say the extent of a flood in the aftermath of a flood disaster. Or, or ahead of a disaster, tried to predict the, the impacts of uh, an earthquake of a given magnitude or intensity, for example, um, to try to produce you know, uh, really high resolution uh, data sets uh, at a global scale of things like humans settlement patterns and building footprints in ways that would help us understand uh, at a large scale the potential impacts of, of disaster, disaster and climate change. And so, so as one example, the International Federation of the Red Cross, IFRC, is, is experimenting with this tool called forecast-based financing, uh, which essentially will attempt to, um, ahead of a flood, um, use information about, about um, weather forecasts, rainfall forecasts, uh, combined with data about past floods in this area to, to uh, more quickly prepare for, for disaster recovery and get, get financial assistance into the hands of people affected by, by weather disasters. Um, the World Bank, uh, this is an example from Guatemala City, um, was using drone imagery as well as uh, street view cameras. So, um, and elevation data combined with machine learning to, to help prioritize a, a retrofitting project around soft story buildings, uh, which are vulnerable to, 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 to earthquakes. Um, so about two years ago, though, this, this group called GFDRR, uh, the Global Facility for Disaster Reduction and, and Recovery, which is kind of a joint World Bank UN entity, um, put out a report highlighting uh, some of these early examples. This was, I guess, late 2018 when this, when this came out. Um, really, as very much an, like, an exploratory sort of report. Here's some of these potential emerging use cases. Um, and at the very end, there was just a couple of paragraphs about about potential concerns of these tools. And you know, they talked a little bit about, about privacy, a little bit about bias at the time. Um, but I think at that point it was what, what they wrote was, was actually really unsatisfying. And I think the people involved in it was, were also a bit um, uncertain that they really had their sort of had a handle on, on what was going on. And, and in fact, in just, just the two years or so since this report came out um, in our field, we've seen 
We've seen the potential for these tools um, being being quite oversold or exaggerated. Um, it's not too often that uh, disaster risk management makes it to to the New York Times, but there's quite a, a large story about about um, a firm that that had taken a bunch of VC money and was essentially being quite dishonest about what the tool was actually doing and how it was working. Um, there was some so a publication in Nature uh, put out that was hit with a bunch of, of, of rebuttals and has been quite a bit of controversy since since it did come out about you know the role of, of deep learning for for uh, predicting earthquakes. Um, and and outside of, of of DRM, our you know our community has been also watching even more examples of how AI tools um, in in um, domains as diverse as criminal justice, banking, and so on, where we're systematically producing these sort of racist, sexist, and, and otherwise discriminatory results to the point that you know maybe um, a lot of the audience will be familiar, but but the ACM was the major academic association in computer science uh, last June called for a moratorium on, on AI-enabled facial recognition tools, saying that this technology too often produces results demonstrating clear bias based on ethnic, racial, gender, and other human characteristics, and that the consequences of which uh, frequently can and do extend well beyond inconvenience to, to profound injury, and in particular to the lives livelihoods and fundamental rights of individuals in specific demographic groups, um, including some of the most vulnerable populations in, in, in our society. Um, and so this is the ACM, who, is, who many of you know are, are probably the, the furthest thing from, from wide-eyed radicals on, on, on these topics. Um, and I think the credit for this is really due to, to a lot of the folks that, that organized within the ACM, many of the ACM members that, that were really pushing for this. And so, that brings us back to sort of the, the disaster risk management community who were sort of facing this situation um, where we were seeing, again, sort of increased exploration of, of these tools in our field. We were watching sort of these, these, these really troubling outcomes in, 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 in other domains. And then what you know, some of us felt was the lack of careful evaluation of, of the role of, of data uh, and AI within, within DRM. Um, and so together uh, to, to some colleagues um, within both some of these international institutions, but also other academics, a uh, couple of folks from the private sector, um, really saw this as a, as a potentially dangerous situation and, and wanted, to, wanted to dig a bit deeper into some of these, these potential problems. Um, and so, so we launched, launched a working group uh, that was fairly informal. Um, in, in January of last year, so just about a year ago, and, and just started to look around, started to have some conversations. And, and we noticed a couple of things at the time. First, that there was a lot of sets of ethical guidelines in existence already related to AI. Um, and you know the Googles and the Microsofts all had theirs. There wasn't very much in, in the development sector at the time, but even that's now growing since then. Um, but that a lot of the guidelines weren't necessarily specific to our domain, and it wasn't clear exactly how, how um, some of these recommendations would or, or, or wouldn't transfer to, to disaster risk management. Um, second, we really struggled with some of the interdisciplinary challenges around this. We had um, quite a lot of folks who were um, you know, really experienced in, in, in development and disaster risk management, had a, had a good sense of some of the potential pitfalls. 
um, but lacked really robust knowledge of, of AI tools and how they worked. Um, and on the other hand, we had, we had, had a, quite a few people that were, were AI experts, but, but not a strong background or, or field experience, you know, working in, in, in DRM. So there was quite a bit of our um, hurdles to, to jump over on that front. And then finally, there was, um, you know, a lot of competing framings when, when we think about um, how to think about does the social, the social impacts of, of AI. Um, you know, so you hear things like ethics, uh, bias and fairness, accountability. Uh, some of our friends in the Harvard Humanitarian Initiative uh, prefer the human rights um, perspective on this. Uh, there's justice, which I personally find, find really compelling. So all of these kinds of ways of approaching the problem, thinking about the consequences, potential harms of, of these tools that, that, that were floating around. And, and it wasn't clear to us at the time when we were sort of new to these conversations, which, which where we should really begin. Um, but what we wanted to do was really convene the, the people that were working directly on designing and, and deploying these tools. Um, and try to get the folks that were really, you know, building these systems, deploying these systems together um, to understand how these projects might play out. Uh, we wanted to develop a process where we could learn from one another um, in an extended manner and, and, and collaboratively investigate these issues. Um, and, and with the goal of really producing a realistic understanding of some of the potential harms of these tools, um, along with meaningful ways ways of addressing them, um, and then and then really produce and advertise sort of a joint set of findings that 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 was written for practitioners um, by by practitioners, and this was an idea we we as a community of practice wanted to get our house in order on these topics. So we had um, a bunch of online meetings between January and April of last year, with anywhere between twenty and forty people. Um, we we were, did a lot of discussion of existing guidelines from, from other fields, other domains. Uh, we conducted about 20 interviews with, with members of, of, of the group and, and others who, who were again working on, on deploying these tools. Um, we were able to do um, an analysis of a couple of different case studies where, where these tools had already been deployed. But again, as I mentioned, the long kind of uh, project cycle of, of disaster risk management um, can make it quite challenging to, to get quick information on, on how these, these projects play out. Um, and then in, in more in kind of May and June, we had a series of online write shops where, where members of the group got together and, and collaboratively drafted a short summary of discussions and, and a set of recommendations. And that, that the outputs of that has gone to about 40 people now um, from, from our community of practice who have given feedback, given us suggestions, provided extra case studies and, and, and so on. Um, and so just, just kind of on, on the results that, that this group came up with, uh, we sort of centered our concerns around four, four main areas that will probably look uh, quite, quite familiar to, to other um, folks that have been part of this conversation about, about AI ethics. Um, first, uh, this question of perpetuating or or further aggravating uh, pre-existing social inequalities through bias. Uh, second, um, questions of privacy and security concerns, particularly in, 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 in settings that are, are, uh, are characterized by conflict where, where security is and, and privacy are, are, are 
extremely important um, and where many disaster risk management and climate change adaptation projects are currently being developed. Um, third, limiting opportunities for both public participation, but as well as expert judgment in, in disaster risk management due to increased complexity and, and automation of, of the processes by which things like disaster risk models or, or post-disaster damage um, assessments were being conducted. And then fourth, as I kind of hinted at already, uh, this question of hype, um, you know, driven by, by VC funding in the private sector or within the, the, the public and nonprofit sector, just the desire and the need to, you know, seem innovative um, or to be pursuing kind of new and emerging ideas, uh, really pushing data products into, into use in life safety situations um, before they're ready. And so here's a, actually, we're, we're working on a web-based version of this, of, of this work uh, so we can share it uh, more broadly. And here's kind of a, an example of what one of those concerns look like. Uh, for each of them, we, we try to include basic concepts, sort of like definition in this case, like definitions of bias, different kinds of bias and so on. Um, we try to provide some strategies on how you would mitigate that, those concerns uh, that, are, that are specific to the, the DRM context and the kinds of data that we use. Um, and then a lot of links for further reading. And, and so the idea here is we're trying to write for the web. So we're trying to keep everything terse um, and, and provide a lot of other updated links to tools and resources and, and where people can go to learn more about the really complicated issues that that, that come up in, in when thinking about the role of AI in, in, in disaster risk management. Um, one of the things that, that I liked that, that we did in this work um, was to try to come up with like some toy examples or, or realistic examples of, of some of the potential harms that could come. Uh, so telling little, just little vignettes, little stories of, that would help um, the reader sort of understand some of these, these concepts that, are, that can be quite tricky in, 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 in a context that would seem familiar to them. And so um, we set a lot of these, these examples in, in sort of a fictional place called Disasterland. Um, here we have sort of a, a short story about uh, Disasterland trying to update its evacuation planning using uh, machine learning models based on CDR or called detail record data, um, to, which, which can help uh, disaster planners understand um, how people move throughout the city at different times of day, different days of the week, different, different weeks of the month and, and so on. Um, However, one of the one of the challenges of, of 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 this kind of data is that it's not disaggregated by by gender or age. And in many parts of the world where disastrous management projects happen, um, there, there's quite unequal access to to cell phones. As a result, and that those sorts of biases and those sorts of inequalities then then persist in in the CDR data. And if that's not taken into account, um, then 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 the the differing needs and, and capacities of people that would need to be evacuated. An evacuation plan also uh, would, would would in some ways perpetuate that bias, and so that's just kind of a we have we offered these kinds of examples throughout the text to really try to put some of these concerns that we're raising um, again into a context that would seem familiar to someone that's working in in disaster risk management. Um, we came up with a, a set of recommendations that that again we're we're working through now. Um, I do think I will say that the that the meets and I think the, the real the main contribution of, of the work is probably less these recommendations and, and more the kind of more substantive bit around those concerns that I was just talking about. Um, but I want to talk through 
just a couple of, of the re recommendations. And, and number, number two, for example, is to really, again, draw on the, the experiences of other fields. Uh, disaster risk management is inherently an inter interdisciplinary undertaking. Um, and interdisciplinary is tough. It takes time and persistence. Um, in, our, in our working group that, that collaborated on, on this study, we were lucky to have you know, data scientists, designers, hydrologists, earthquake engineers, and, and a lot of people that are working on different aspects of, of disaster data along and being part of this process. And, and, and we really needed um, all of those perspectives, I think, in order to, to make sense of these issues. Um, but it's also really tough. You know, we frequently got tripped up on some of the, the technical language, the, the assumptions, the, you know, the epistemic infrastructures of, of each other's differing areas of, of expertise. And so one example of this, this really is actually bias. Um, you know, we had a lot of debates in our, in our group about what it meant, um, what it was, where it came from. Um, and part of the issue is a, is a definitional one. So in, in, in kind of statistics, uh, which many of the machine learning and data science folks that were part of the group, uh, bias is, is an error. It's you know, the result of inappropriate measurements or model design um, to where folks that maybe had more of a humanities or other kind of background saw it as sort of um, really frequently conceived of it, I would say as, as a broader concept and, and you know, reflects uh, how kind of, you know, power is really uh, accretes through, through, through data collection and usage and, and reinforces existing hierarchies and, and structures in some cases. And so while this, this and I guess what I wanna, wanna argue is that this, this distinction uh, really tripped us up, but, but because we had an extended amount of time to work together on this, uh, it was exactly that, that difficulty that forced us to kind of slow down uh, more carefully define some of our terms like bias in this case. And I think have, have in the end really sort of powerful discussions that we wouldn't have had otherwise, I don't think it had it not been for that kind of that friction. And so I'm kind of citing Donna Haraway here to, to say that this interdisciplinary process of evaluating um, disaster data really, you know, um, benefit, can benefit from some of these, these, these disconnects um, as, as, and really kind of staying with, with the trouble as they arise. Um, second, um, and this is, I think, recommendation number seven, uh, it's really clear from, from a lot of our, our conversations as a group and, and the interviews that we did with, with practitioners that, that ethical guidelines, um, despite, you know, their proliferation and, and the fact that they do have some, some clear utility, uh, they're, they're not enough. Um, there are many, you know, examples and stories that we heard from our interviews of, uh, of, of people who, whose um, job descriptions and, and the projects that in which they were embedded and the, the habits of the field um, really shaped and constrained their work in really important ways that, that um, sort of ethical decision-making when it's off, as it's often kind of construed it to be an individual actor type decision um, really makes it doesn't sort of address these these systematic or kind of collective problems uh, that that so often show up when you're when you're thinking about the the potential for, for AI to have, have negative impacts in, in your field and so um, 
here the we felt that sort of the individual in this context was a sort of an in, inadequate unit of analysis and so so we were we push in in this um in this report um for for sort of laws regulations standards uh that that in other sort forms of kind of collective action uh to determine how we want how we want this landscape to look and and, and how we want ai to be taken up in our in our discipline and then finally the, the eighth recommendation is that this really goes many of the 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 issues that arose, many of the concerns that, that were raised uh, really go far beyond AI. Um, and so an example that, that came up in, in some of our work on, on risk modeling uh, relates to different approaches for cost benefit analysis, um, often used to measure the benefits of, 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 of protecting a certain part of a city or a territory against disaster. Um, the cost is sort of you know the the financial costs of uh, of building a certain you know dam or or retrofitting a certain set of buildings or or so on. The benefits on the side of the cost benefit analysis equation are often calculated using property values, um, and I think it's pretty easy to see then how this can lead to disproportionate amounts of, of protection being given to to wealthier your parts of the city. And this is sort of you know, just one example of the many ways in which our, our community already produces data about disaster that has um, a tendency to 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 reinforce existing existing inequalities, even without the additional sort of challenges and questions that that are raised by artificial intelligence. And so we end this report with with what we're really looking for as a call to action within within our community of practice. Um, to collectively look much more carefully at the data that 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 we are using to understand disaster, uh, trying to understand the, the perspectives and, and, and the people that are privileges, um, sometimes at, at the expense of, of those very folks that are that are vulnerable to disaster, who are who are who our field um, is is meant to be protecting. And so, uh, I'm I'm a computer scientist. Um, I really do believe that that science engineering and, and better data can help us you know, get to a world that is more just, more sustainable and, and, and safer. Um, but I don't think that it will do so automatically. Um, and so we wanna take this opportunity, which is really afforded by, by the intense scrutiny that AI is receiving right now in our field to engage with some of these much deeper, much more, much more fundamental questions about how we collect data and produce knowledge about, about disaster. Um, so this report that we're working on uh, with, with collaborators from a number of different institutions uh, uh, is now has been reviewed by a lot of different people in our field and I think does um, capture in, in, a, in a reasonable way what, what practitioners from disaster risk management really feel about some of these issues. It'll be out next month. Um, and, and um, I'll put my email at the, the end of this. You can please get in touch if you'd, if you'd like to be alerted when it does come out, I'd be happy to, to send you a copy or a link. Um, and, I, and I wanna close just talking a little bit about some, some of the next steps for this work, because it really was um, just about a year ago that we started having these conversations seriously. It, um, I wasn't, I'm not an AI expert. I'm not an AI ethics expert. I'm someone that's worked a lot on, on disaster and disaster data for a long time. Uh, and we turn to this question of, 
uh, of AI because it was being taken up in our field um, and, and we weren't quite sure how to think about it. Um, so we really consider this as, as the start of a, of a longer process. Um, and I'm hoping some, some, some folks who watch this will reach out and then want to get involved. Uh, but some of the things that, that we're working on now with um, our new lab at, at the University of Toronto in, in the CS department that's thinking about this, um, doing a better job, as I mentioned, um, of, 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 of post hoc analysis of individual projects. As I mentioned, disasters management projects take quite a long time. Uh, to, to implement and even longer to know to know their impacts, uh, but we do have some that have reached uh, some degree of maturity such that we could go um, and, 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 and investigate uh, some of these projects, how they played out. Um, second, you know, working within these bureaucracies within sort of the aid agencies and the international organizations that, that are funding a lot of disaster risk reduction and disaster risk management work. Um, and what are some kind of no regrets standards processes that could be put in place within some of these institutions that, that would have impacts today on, on how some of these projects were designed. Um, third, we're looking a lot at, at, at questions of explainable AI, and in particular explainable to who. Uh, much of the literature that, that we're seeing on explainable AI is, is designed to make uh, AI make sense to other experts. Um, and while that's certainly valuable, um, a lot of the, the way the the projects and, and the decisions that AI tools and disaster risk management are meant, meant to inform are really public decisions about um, the allocation of, of safety and, 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 and who to protect and, and how. Um, and so if we want that those processes to be as participatory, as democratic, um, as transparent as possible, um, if we value those things, then we also need to find a ways to, to be able to explain the results of, of these of these models and of these tools to, to those different publics. Um, fourth, uh, we really are, you know, this was kind of a small community of practice um, or a small group within a larger community of practice that, that worked on this. We did a lot of outreach, um, but we want, we really see this as an opportunity to push the conversation within DRM, uh, to bring more of the experts that are, that are designing these tools and, and implementing them and, and helping us understand uh, the impacts of disaster and, and how to mitigate them. Uh, we really wanna use this as an opportunity to get more of them on board to ask some of these, again, sort of tougher questions about our field and, and the role of data and information in informing it. Um, and then finally, you know, really looking at taking this, this question of, of, of the, the social impacts of AI um, as we're seeing them play out in, in disaster risk management to, to shed light on, on some of these, these longer, bigger, thornier issues that come up when you, when you work in international development, for example, and, and you work with sort of large international institutions, uh, such as the World Bank and the UN that have their, their particular histories and, and what can this, this very specific sort of issues um, that are coming up around AI, um, what, what light do they shed on, on, on this much broader, wider context um, and, and where we are kind of in, in this particular moment in history? And so those are, so those are some of the questions that we're having in our lab and on our team and, 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 and where we're looking to take this, this work next. Um, and then finally, I just wanna reflect a bit and, and on this, this question of sort of studying up with, with expert communities uh, within sort of ethnography um, studying up has often been referred to as, as, as 
turning the, the ethnographic gaze towards, towards the elite, uh, which wasn't always done in the history of anthropology and, and ethnography. Um, and, and within sort of recent conversations in the AI ethics field, uh, in particular, there's a really good paper, um, um, I believe last year that came out or, or, or the year before that really was advocating for, for more study of, of expert communities, of, of the people that were building these tools the kind of the, the, the social contexts and, and sort of structural factors that they were grappling with. And, and, and I'm glad to see that because I do think it's really important. And that's, that's a lot of what this project is really, has really been doing. Um, and we found it, or I, I've found it actually quite challenging. Um, you know, in terms of just as again, the, the, the really varied and, and different kinds of expertise that are needed to, to really track what's going on in these, these contexts and in these field sites, to critically assess the data that, that we, we collect through our interviews and, and participant observation. So it's not just expertise about machine learning, but also engineering, land use planning, uh, international development, uh, requires some comfort with, with ethnographic methods, which many experts in these other fields don't, don't have, uh, requires familiarity with the field site and some of the logics by which uh, disaster risk management and, and international development currently play out. And so, so yeah, we're, we're really trying to figure out how do we maintain critical distance um, on this incredibly complicated field uh, while still, you know, being close enough to it to understand how, how it's functioning and how it's working. Um, how do we ensure that these kinds of recommendations that we've come up with are both um, are, are, are meaningful and, and, and critically oriented? There's a lot of pushback against sort of AI ethics and AI principles right now that I think is quite justified that just really puts, is, would argue that, that some of these principles are, are maybe superficial, that they don't really challenge some of the underlying um, inequities and hierarchies that, that, are, that are leading to some of the, the negative impacts of AI. Um, and so how can we, um, as, as researchers that wanna study this really complicated um, situation, but also want to see um, these tools be used in ways that are effective and, 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 and protect people. Um, how do we sort of balance some of those, those tensions? And then again, like I was saying, how do we place DRM and the role of AI um, in, in DRM within this sort of longer arc of histories and, 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 and injustices that, that the international development community is, is, is bound up with?